This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, the conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. Anxiety affects 25% of our children from 13 to 18. Bullying has doubled in the years 2015 to 2017, and suicide rates are up 28% over the last 20 years. And that was before the pandemic. Uh, Is it possible that creating environments that encourage permission to feel can change this? Dr. Mark Brackett, in his new book, Permission to Feel, presents a compelling argument that not only is the answer to this yes, but using the power of emotions, we can create a healthier and more equitable, innovative, and compassionate society. So that's not a bad goal. And even better, Mark will um, help us learn how to actually get there. Mark is the founder and director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. He's a professor in the Yale Child Study Center at Yale University, and I am delighted to welcome Dr. Mark Brackett. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, we, you know, we could be here uh, for hours and hours trying to cover everything in the book, but uh, what we'll try to do is Uh, get to the highlights in a way that'll be helpful to everybody, but also make them realize how important it is uh, that they'll mark up the book just like I have the book marked up. (laughs) You can see that like on every other uh, page and going to make everyone uh, read it. So in the book, you you speak at a lot of conferences and corporations Mm -hmm. and schools and a zillion things. And you often start uh, the conversation by saying for them to share how they're feeling. And, right. you know, not shockingly, no one raises their hand. So then you start to talk about what are their reasons for not being able to express their feeling. And one of my favorite answers was uh, a person, I don't know whether it was a man or a woman, said, that they felt like they were raised in the witness protection program and their goal was to share nothing. So how common is that and how wired into our DNA and culture is that? Well, it's not wired into our DNA. (laughs) It's wired into our culture. (laughs) And I think that's an important distinction, right? We're born- That's actually actually the point. (laughs) Exactly. We're born wanting to connect, right? We actually require it to live, you know, a full life. Um, but somehow or another, we're raised in families and brought up in school systems and work in organizations that tell us that we have to suppress our true feelings. And so, I mean, there's a lot of layers to it. Um, I think, you know, let's just, let's just practice it right here together. So, yeah. hey, Roxanne, I'm actually, why don't you ask me, you know, I'm okay, Mark. You didn't ask me how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? Fine. <laughs> so, okay. So that actually raises Mark. That that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, you probably know that's perfect. You just <laughs> give me 
talk a million gazillion times. But one of the things that you talk about in the book a lot is our ability to ask that question and then really A, listen, and ask it in a way that would prompt a person to be honest. Mm -hmm. So what are the ingredients of that? Well, let's try it one more time. So ask me how I'm feeling. Mark, how are you feeling? Honestly, like this is the day from hell. I'm anxious, <laughs> overwhelmed, and just completely full of despair. I'm sorry <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> and so all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit. Like I wasn't expecting that. Oh, no, right? I, I did expect that. And one of the things that I've been thinking about as I read the book is, so when someone says that, you talk about in the book, to give them the right to feel that in because 100%. so i what i should what i shouldn't say to you is wow why would you be feeling that way exactly right you just want to be that compassionate friend colleague and and listen like any normal person you know should do so what would well, be the ideal way to answer that well I, let me get there in a minute i want okay. to get in i want to talk a little bit about you know, why we're in a place where we actually don't even ask the question anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, and I think it, there's a lot of reasons. The first is that you have to be ready to hear it. Mm. You know, and a lot of parents don't want to actually know in many ways what their kids are feeling mm -hmm. because that means they've got to change everything. Right. Cause if I just say, if you say, if you ask me how I'm feeling, I'm like, fabulous everything's great you're like good good oh, let's go yeah exactly good go get on the bus go to school and i can go do my thing let's have dinner <laughs> exactly but then you ask me and i say you know like anxious overwhelmed and i'm feeling shame and guilt and and then all of a sudden you're like oh my god i'm a terrible parent oh my god da, da, da. and you can go you go the list comes out around it becomes more about you mm -hmm. than it is about the kid shocking exactly and then you know if you're a working mom or dad it's like, what do I do right now? I've got to go to work. And like, how do mm -hmm. I manage? Like, what do I, I don't even know where to begin. Reminds me, this is kind of a, a cute story, I think. Someone um, who I'll I know. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Someone who, I, who I've worked with in the past, who is reading my book. Um, she said that they, she started like asking the question about, you know, how are you feeling? And it was like eliciting some interesting responses. And spontaneously like never before her high school son called her and he goes you know mom i'm i'm really i'm not feeling so great today and then she got stuck and she came to me she's like you know mark my son told me he's not you know feeling so great today and i said okay and so what'd you do about it and she was like well i didn't read that chapter yet <laughs> so i was thinking to myself you're his mother you know like you need to read you know like come on so i just think that none of us in many ways received an adequate emotion education. You know, we didn't learn the words. Um, we didn't grow up in families that really wanted to listen to feelings. Um, and we certainly, you know, I, I mean, I don't think it was until I was in my thirties in graduate school that I even knew that there was something I could do with my feelings, mm. right? That there were strategies that could, I just thought I was an anxious, neurotic, unhappy, 
creature who like that was just going to be my future yeah. i didn't know there were actually like evidence-based strategies to help me manage uh, so mark i want to i want to come back Sure. We, we've already opened like 87 other questions that I yeah. could ask you. So I'm <laughs> going to pull it back a second because people might think that there is a touchy-feely way that you're going to be talking about this. But in fact, you've been a lead developer of a very evidence-based strategy. Mm -hmm. So let's lay those out and then we can go back to this, all the different ways we can respond to how are you feeling sure. by thinking of what you call the rules. Yeah, ruler. Ruler. Yeah. And so there are no rules. There's only ruler. <laughs> um, let me, I think it's important for people to understand like the perspective of this because I do get a lot of pushback. You know, people oftentimes say things, even at like where I work at Yale, other professors will say things like, we produce Nobel laureates, not nice people. You know, there's endless resistance. Nice people lose. Exactly. And I think when I meet these people, I'm like, we'd have a lot more Nobel laureates if you didn't work here. But <laughs> I don't see that. You really that. did have a bad day, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have no tolerance for people who don't give people the permission to feel. So the... Um, I think the first is, is that concept. Like, do we give ourselves and the people we love and even the people we don't love so much, right? The permission to be their true, full feeling selves. And mm. like right now, like we're in a pandemic, we have multiple pandemics. We've got anxiety around, you know, the virus. We've got structural racism. We've got inequities and- like, And an election. And an election, you know, which- is causing a lot of feelings also. And so the question is like, do we just suppress those feelings, ignore those feelings, or do we acknowledge that we're having them and learn how to use them wisely? So that's the first step. The second is that I'm a scientist. So when people say, oh, this is about like holding hands in a circle and kumbaya. kumbaya. Like, yeah, like absolutely not. Like I'm not interested in doing that. But what I need people to understand is like how the emotion system operates. Mm. Because when you understand the science of how your brain operates, you, your eyes become very open to learning. And so what we know is that emotions are the drivers of our attention. So if people, for example, if we weren't engaging, which I think we're doing a pretty good job of, right, people would be like, done, I'm out of here, right? Because it would be the emotions that we're creating that are interest and engagement. We've all been in classrooms that are like ugh, unbearably boring um, or we've all been like completely stressed out and we haven't been able to focus. So we know that our emotion system is inextricably linked to how we process information. Decision making. Like I'm sure, have you made a bad choice over the last couple of months because of never. how you Never. You know, I don't make any bad decisions ever. I'm 71. I've never made a bad decision. There you go. So um, I'll interview everyone who works for you and who lives with you. Um, we know that how we feel influences, you know, what we eat, whether or not we exercise, you know, how we evaluate things, relationships, right? You've, you've owned, how long have you owned your store for? 30 years. Right. So I'm not excluding the people who work for you right now. In the last 25 years ago, 20 years ago, did you ever hire someone who was really difficult? 
I can't even begin to answer you. <laughs> exactly. And you wake up in the morning and you think about that person that you're going to be seeing all day long who yeah. makes you like out of your mind, right? Yeah. It's yeah. the emotions, right? It's that it's how they make you feel that right. drives whether or not you want to work with them and you know, engage with them. The fourth is mental health. I mean, my goodness, we can see the data as you shared in the opening. And then finally is creativity and our everyday life performance. And, you know, I work with people who have higher SAT scores than I ever had, you know, and as a professor here, but not everybody's successful. Yeah. And the question is, why is that? And what I've noticed is A, the creativity is diminishing. B, that our students are not used to getting a lot of harsh feedback. Um, they're not comfortable with being uncomfortable. They're not comfortable with um, being overwhelmed by a project that they don't really understand that well or having or being disappointed or anxious about something. And it's certainly not their cognitive ability that is um, getting in the way of their success. It's that their inability to deal with their feelings. So those are the, like, that's my go-to when anybody fights with me about why emotions matter. I just go back to the science. Hey, Mark, let me, let me just, um, uh, well, wh I think what I, what I want to make sure everybody is really clear about before we move forward, that mm -hmm. one of the things that, I mean, I would have known at, on some intuitive level about the danger of not um, dealing with what your emotions are. But when I read the book and understood the science of it and the structural impediments it puts in place to our being able to operate, I was pretty taken aback by all the different ways that it permeates everything. And, and to stick with the critics of this for a minute, and then we can go into it. So here's, here's a couple of questions about mm -hmm. that come to mind is, so what's the risk for somebody who gives themselves the permission to feel that they're talking to the unevolved person who's like, holy cow, you like way overshared information with me. Mm -hmm. I kind of liked you before. I am going to keep my distance from you. So I'm sure you hear that also. What's your response to that? Well, that's, so now you're getting into, you know, the actual skills, which is the heart of my book, which are the R-U-L-E-R, -E the ruler skills. And so the one you're really talking about is expressing emotion, mm -hmm. which is discerning. Is this the right time, place, person with whom to communicate my feelings? Right. And certainly... That's, that's a skill, you know, because people, excuse me, people can use what you say against you, but if you're not interacting with an emotionally intelligent person, they could be, you know, um, harmful. So that's, I mean, that's actually the heart of our work, which is A, recognizing your own emotions and other people's emotions, knowing where those feelings come from, having that nuanced vocabulary, to differentiate your feelings, knowing how and when to express them. And there are so many rules around that. Like there are cultural rules, there are 
race rules, there are gender rules, there are power rules. Um, and then finally, like, do I have the strategies to deal with my feelings? You know, when people disappoint me or when I'm angry and frustrated, or how do I help you, Roxanne, as a friend to manage your feelings when you're feeling strong emotions? So the answer to your question is, is why I want to create an emotion revolution because everyone's got to have the skills, right? It, it really doesn't work very well. As a matter of fact, what you're reminding me of, just going back to my own story for a minute. So as you know, from my book, I was abused as a kid and it was terrible abuse. So I didn't go into detail because my book is not about my abuse, but I felt it was important to share my true story. Mm-hmm. And for many years, you know, was sexually abused by a neighbor. How nobody recognized in my family, my facial expression, my body language, you know, my behavior, that there was something wrong is fascinating to me. Just goes to show you how unaware many people are, how self-involved people are in terms of picking up the cues. Now, my parents love me, for sure. They had their own emotional challenges. But they put me in therapy which was the best thing they could do once I disclosed what would happen. However, you know, I went to see this guy who was a great guy and we played ping pong and we talked about things. (laughs) But then I went back to a home where there was a lot of anxiety and anger. And I went into a school where I was horrifically bullied. So you can't take someone out of a thing and put them in a place and help them develop. Yeah. If the systems that are surrounding the child or the adult are not also evolving at the same time. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. And there's a there's a really exquisite line that you have in the book when you talk about your parents. And I think a lot of people could relate to this, where you talk about your parents unequivocally loved you, but there's a difference between loving and seeing. Correct. And I think probably for most of us who are parents and for a lot of people that are listening, is there even a, um, I mean, obviously there's doing all the work, the big work that you talk about, but what is it that could help parents close that gap where they love their kids, but they're not seeing them? Is Do they have to just deal with their own challenges before they can even begin to help their kid doing that? Or are there, not tricks, I don't mean it to be tricks, but are there tiny steps that parents can take to make sure that that they're not falling into that problem? Well, yes. And I think that everyone can develop together. I mean, ideally, our parents would be more evolved, right? So that they can create the conditions for children to flourish. But certainly, like, no time is better than the present moment to get started. Yeah. And so, you know, as you know, from my book, I talk a lot about my Uncle Marvin. Yeah, tell us that story. I love that. Well, so he wasn't my, he was my uncle. He was my mom's brother. It just so happens that when I was, when I disclosed my abuse and I was having terrible, terrible bullying in school, my uncle, who was the teacher, 
um, came to live with us on the weekends because he was getting his master's degree um, in the town where I grew up. And so all of a sudden I had this like amazing adult who would sit with me in the backyard and, and listen. And listen. And I think, you know, what's amazing about Uncle Marvin, firstly, he was actually developing a program to teach kids about their feelings in the 1960s and 70s. He was a middle school teacher, right? Yeah. And so he was teaching, you know, students, you know, to think about the Roman oligarchy and Julius Caesar and, you know, the Boston Tea Party and all these different aspects of history and literature through the lens of feeling, which was pretty remarkable. But the most important thing was, is that when I shared my story, firstly, he was the only one I really shared my story with, like the real full story. Um, he didn't say what my father would have said, which was, son, you got to toughen up. Mm. Or my mom, who had terrible anxiety problems, she would say things, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I can't believe this <laughs> is happening. I'm going to have a breakdown. Your mom. Yeah. No, I can laugh now. I cried then, but I laugh now. <laughs> um, and I don't blame her. I mean, my mother just had no strategies, right? She didn't mm. grow up. Her, I mean, her parents, you know, it's in a whole other book. And so- I hear a memoir in your future. Yeah, someday. But um, so she had no resources. And so what do you learn early in life? Mommy's always having a breakdown and having her secret doers, you know, under, in the styrofoam cup under the table while she's watching, you know, Johnny Carson. <laughs> and daddy's just angry all the time telling you to toughen <laughs> up. So you're I, mean, like, I don't mean to laugh. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I can laugh now, I'm, you know. 25 years of therapy and 25 years as a scientist of emotion. But the, um, the point is you learn what I, you, you just learn messages, right? And that message is like, you just, you don't even have language for it, but you say to yourself in some subconscious way, like, I'm not going to talk about my emotions because there's no one here to listen or the, or they're just going to give you advice that doesn't have any relation to your experience. And that's what was different about Uncle Marvin. Yeah. Uncle Marvin listened. He never judged. He was open, accepting, as I said, non-judgmental and curious. He was always in learning mode, not in knowing yeah. mode. Yeah. And he wanted to get specific and he wanted to know the details and, uh, and he opened up the conversations in ways that made me want to share more. And then we would just gradually talk about, so how do we do with this? And what do we do? How do we manage that? And so, you know, I dedicated my book to him, obviously. Yeah. But he really helped me understand this principle of permission to feel. Like you have to create the conditions. Yeah. And so God bless the Uncle Marvins. And, you know, my hope, uh, I'll just share one quick anecdote that's not in my book because it happened after I published my book. So I'm on this book tour in the fall and um, I'm giving talks all over the place. And I'm telling my, I don't, I never used to go into my deep uncle story until I wrote my book, telling this deep uncle story. And I do this exercise where I ask people, and we can ask people tonight, like, did you have an uncle Marvin? Mm. And who was that person? Describe that person. And so I tell that, you know, story and example. And all of a sudden some guy raises his hand. He goes to me, he goes, Mark, my uncle Marvin was your uncle Marvin. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I was your uncle's student in sixth grade 45 years ago. 
Wow. And of course, I'm like completely blown away. I'm like, you can't go anywhere. I have to interview you. <laughs> and honestly, it was mind blowing. Here is a kid who, a man who was now the deputy superintendent in Westchester schools. And he mm. could, he sat with me for a half hour describing his sixth grade experience with my uncle. Wow. The nuances of what my uncle looked like and how he weaved in emotions and history and how he greeted kids in a certain way. And it was mind blowing to me. Yeah. And so there are people in this world, you know, that understand these principles and you can see the lasting impact they can have. You know, here's a guy who became a teacher and a principal of school because my uncle, you know. Yeah. But you know, Mark, it's reminding me, which is a little bit, off topic and I'll, right. I'll get us back to it, but there was a documentary film that was done about a school system in Walla Walla, Washington. Yep. Um, and one of the things that they, I think it was based on some of the ACEs principles, but what it, yeah. but the thing that was striking about it that I'm reminded of talking to you is even in a screwed up environment, what they learned is just one person, just one person who heard someone, a kid, could change their life. One person in a screwed right. up house with maybe not the best school system, with you know chaos, chaos, everything that could go wrong. But if they have one person, do do you have you seen evidence of that? That even just work. one person there can is. change it. A hundred percent. What research shows, however, only one third of our nation's youth feel like they have that person. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of work we have to do. Yeah. And it's unbelievable to me, you know, that so many youth feel like they don't have an adult they can turn to, to talk about yeah. their, their problems. And it doesn't, you know, it's a lot of work to do, but it's not a lot of work. Right. When you really right. think about it, because it's it's a mindset. And a, 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 but, you know, the, the, I want to make sure also that we highlight the language you just used before, because when I read the book, it was that notion, this notion that you just mentioned that was so striking to me that when you enter a conversation, that your goal is to be learning, not knowing. Always. And that little construct. If, you know, if that was like on your computer or, you know, you, you mm -hmm. carried around a little piece of paper for the conversations that you have, mm -hmm. um, that alone could make a, an amazing change, right? Because what we want to do is tell you, you tell me that you had a horrible, bad, no good day. And, and, and I would say to you, oh, did, did you take a walk? You know, go you take a that, Or you would say, you think you had a rough day. Let me <laughs> tell you about my day. And then all of a sudden it becomes about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I call that a pissing contest. Exactly. You know, no, I'm busier. I'm more anxious than you 100%. are. 100%. Um, all right, Mark. So let's go over mm -hmm. what the ruler stands for. Because yes. um, believe it or not, we're going to start running out of time. <laughs> And I, okay. there's a bunch of stuff I want to make sure we get to, but let's lay out what yes. those are. So I'm going to put this in context here. We give everyone the permission to feel everything. There's no good or bad emotions. 
there's nothing good or bad about feelings. There are experiences that we humans have and they're real experiences not to be judged. We strive to be the emotion scientist, not the emotion judges. And then we work towards developing those skills, recognition of emotion. How am I feeling? How are you feeling? I'm noticing how you feel through your facial expression, your body language, your vocal tone, your behavior. Something important about that though, is that because we haven't given ourselves the permission to feel, we mask our feelings a lot. Right. So what you see is not necessarily what the person is actually feeling. And that was another big challenge that my parents had, which was I would come home from school. I hated school, by the way. I was a terrible student in school. Um, I, I had learning problems. I had relationship issues. I mean, I just really was, I suffered a lot. Um, and it's weird that I'm like a professor at a place like Yale. Um, but, you know. You're not really. Thanks, thanks to Uncle Marvin. Yeah, maybe I'm not. It's all, maybe this is all my, my altar. Um, but the... Um, my parents did another challenge, had another issue, which was they misperceived my behavior. And so what I mean by that, I hate you. I'm not going to school tomorrow. And what happened is they got triggered by my behavior. Who do you think you are talking to me that way? Mm -hmm. And then they never did the inquiry. So they never yeah. learned how I was feeling because they were activated by my behavior. And then what happened? Go to your room, wait till your father gets home can't wait for daddy to get home. <laughs> That's going to be fun. And, and you know, Mark, you talk about that in another example. I think it's in the chapter on emotion at home. Mm -hmm. where you talk about a high school kid who didn't go to sleepaway camp because give that, share with us that example, because I think a lot of people can relate to that and how the mother did deal with it and how the mother could have or should have dealt with it. Yeah. So I think, you know, the goal for adults who are raising kids is to be the role model in healthy emotion regulation. So what we have to be able to do as adults, as teachers, as parents, is down-regulate when we're activated by kids or our partners or whoever. Because if we're activated, we go into fight-flight mode. When we're deactivated, we go into learning mode if we have the skills. So how so do you just, deactivate? It might be taking a few deep breaths. Mm -hmm. It might be saying, you know, Roxanne, I'm in a really bad place right now. Can I have five minutes to myself, please? And it might be if you're a father, say, you know, honey, daddy had a really rough day. I'm going to go sit down over there. Just give me a couple of minutes and we'll chat about it. It might be taking a walk. It might be um, pinching yourself and saying like, take a break. And so that's the first piece is parent role model, parent being in a place where they can be in learner mode, not knower mode. Mm. And then you have to remember permission to feel means that no matter what I hear, it's okay. Mm. Do you feel like that's a big deal because, you know, as a gay guy and my father being a tough guy, like that didn't really go. That's so not a well. good match. It wasn't a good match. So my father told me to toughen up, you know, when I was actually interested in dating the tough guys. <laughs> um, That's like my that, kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't know, Dad. This is like, a, I don't know. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little tired tonight. I'm over disclosing. Uh, <laughs> but um, the, my point here really is. It's okay, Mark. Thank you. See that? 
Now I feel better already. <laughs> so um, down regulate, learner mode, not knower mode, validate 100%. And then that gives you the opportunity to go into finding out like what is the real experience because kids may not be communicating how they really feel accurately. I yeah. hate school. Well, what happened at school? Is it shame that you're like, you feel like you're not smart enough and you're failing? Is it frustration that you don't understand something? Is it fear that you're getting beaten up, you know, by the bully on the way to school? Like you got to know what's going on because if you don't know what's going on, then there's no way to provide the, the best support. Does that resonate? Do you see? Yes, it okay. absolutely. Yeah, it's that. It's that. And the other thing, Mark, that was really enlightening is that we have to remember, I forget which one of the letters and ruler okay. it is. We have to remember the two-way part of it because if I'm talking to my spouse or my kid or my friend and they're getting a rise out of me, if I don't start thinking about what got a rise out of me, there is no way I can really be present with that person in a healthy way. So that's a lot going on at once, right? Because, uh, yes. but, right? So if you, you have an example in the book of somebody coming down, oh, oh, I don't remember if it was the man or the woman coming downstairs, their partner was already cranky about something. So the other one was like, you know, like the hell with you and stormed out instead of trying to figure out what it is because they weren't in a place to do it. So the challenge for all of us that are, you know, uh, human beings is we're even people well-intentioned need to do the work on themselves and make sure they're recognizing their own feelings. Definitely. Because, you know, I think as I, you know, I'm telling you like you don't know this. <laughs> no, but I'm glad, you know, it's reinforcing. Um, but, you know, I think from my father, my father, you know, based on my behavior was triggered very easily. Um, I mean, I had, my father came from real difficult circumstances and I think he thought, you know, I should be, you know, thankful for everything that I had. And mm -hmm. he also couldn't relate to my, you know, non, you know, toxic masculine way of being. And so I think he was triggered by that. And so he's, he's yeah. like layers and layers and layers of, um, of challenges, right? In terms of building that connection with me. Is your dad alive? No, he passed away. By the way, we, in the end... Um, he became an emotion scientist and um, completely embraced, you know, obviously me as a person, but also just embraced the work. Um, How'd that come but, about? He could be a good lesson for us. Well, you know, it's like persistence and persistence and I'm not giving up on my dad. I think, you know, I tell a story in my book about how he, my mom passed away when I was young and he was, he got remarried and his wife called me and like, I can't take your father. He's angry all the time. I'm like, yeah, I know. Don't. That was Jane, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, um, and then I go up to visit my father with my brothers and I take him out to the you know local Panera for coffee up there. 
in Binghamton, New York. And I'm like, dad, you know, what's going on? And I can't take it anymore. All right. What does that mean exactly? Well, she's spending all this time with her grandchildren. This is ridiculous. My children are independent. I'm like, really? So tell me more. And the long story short is that what I realized through listening to his story was that he wasn't angry. He was jealous. He was jealous that his wife was spending a lot of time with that kid and not with him. And that's jealousy. So I said, dad, you know, it sounds like you're jealous of that three month old. And he's like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, well, let's talk about it some more. And then once he had the epiphany that he really was jealous, yeah, I mean, yeah. he just started crying. And so that's the power, you know, of this work. It's like that, it's like radical self-awareness. Yeah. So and that's so, the Ellen ruler, right? That was yes. labeling what his emotion was really about. Yeah, because he was just acting out of anger, um, but he wasn't able to communicate that his needs weren't being met or that he was jealous. And once he, first then he, when he's like, I'm jealous of a three month old, I'm like, yeah, you are. I hate to tell you that. <laughs> and then we started having conversations about like, well, what is, does Jane have the permission to be a grandma? Can, you know, what's going on with you in terms of not allowing her to be her true, you know, feeling self. And it just led to a completely, you know, I'll be honest with you, what happened is, you know, a month or two later, Jane called me. She's like, I don't know what happened at that Panera. Like a miracle. <laughs> and so it, you know, that connection, you know, that perseverance, yeah. that helping people to label and then, oh, and then we talked about strategies because he needed a tool bag. He had no strategies because yeah. what happened is then he got resentful that he was left alone. I'm like, well, what's your passion project while she's playing with the baby? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so let's see. It's 7.43. We have, um, all right, I want to I try to get to... <clears throat> oh my God, everybody's just going to have to read the book and then... <laughs> And, and, and in case we don't get to everything, but I do want to, uh, so you talk about the work at home and you talk about, um, talk about the mood meter, because sure. I think that that's a stabilizing piece. You're going to hold up the graph? Yeah, there you go. So that's okay, the mood great. meter. Perfect. Oh, you know, I have a galley, so, uh, so I don't, a paperback, I don't have that. Yeah, so there you go. That's the it's the inside uh, of the book. So explain uh, what that is, because that helps, I think, anchor how people think about their own where they're coming from. Sure. <clears throat> so the mood meter is is a tool that's based in science. That's the vehicle to building our emotional intelligence skills, and essentially what it says is that how we feel is a product of two dimensions. The first is pleasantness. So, I mean, let me ask you this. When you wake up in the morning, are there days you just wake up and you're like, today's going to be a great day. And then the days you wake up and you're like, oh, I just want to pull the covers over my head. Yes. Okay. I'm mostly there, the former. <laughs> are there days that you wake up when you feel like your energy is really low versus like, you're just like, I'm ready to take over the world. Yes. Yeah. So those are the two basic dimensions of the mood meter. Approach, avoid, pleasant, unpleasant, mm -hmm. high energy, low energy, activated, kind of 
deactivated. And then you get these four quadrants, the yellow, the red, the blue, and the green. Yellow, high energy, high pleasant, excited, happy, elated. The green, calm, content, tranquil, peaceful. The blue, down, devastated, hopeless, despair. The red, you know, angry, irritated, anxious, overwhelmed. And so that's a tool. We have an app for that tool. Um, Ruler, which is not only the skills, it's our center program that's in, in Connecticut, by the way, we are in 250 schools across the state of Connecticut. Mm. Um, I should just say something that I'm extraordinarily proud of. Um, with the support of the Dalio family and the governor of Connecticut, we have created a course that will be available to every single educator in the entire state of Connecticut for free. Um, that will be launched in September. Wow. So up, up to 100,000 private, public, charter, after-school, preschool, home care providers, everybody gets access for free. 10 hours on how to manage stress and anxiety during these difficult times. The mood meter is central to that, right? So building that emotional awareness. And um, it's a tool that just is, it's, it's very helpful because I think- Mark, what's know, the app? It's just called the mood meter app. And it's an app that helps you track your feelings, you know, over time. And you could, you can plot yourself and you can, um, so it looks like this. And then ah. you say, I'm in the green. And then it gives you the words and you can figure out the words you're feeling. I'm in the blue. So Mark, do you <clears throat> think, do you think it's helpful for each of us on, on, on like a daily basis to be, thinking about at the start of the day where we are because that helps inform us how we might already be hardwired to do something that we don't mean to do? 100%. So what you want to do is, you know, the app is in my brain because it's part of my work. But I think what's important for us as people is to just be more emotionally self-aware throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you wake up in the morning, like if you wake up in that blue quadrant, you're down a little hopeless, like that's going to influence how you greet your kid. Yeah. It's going to influence that conversation at breakfast. And you might want to check in and say, you know what, why am I in the blue? I'm in the blue because I'm feeling hopeless about my work project. So let me attribute my feeling of hopelessness to that and make sure it doesn't kind of and move um, away and make sure it doesn't like pervade my relationship with my child that morning. And then the yeah. same thing happens, you know, throughout the day, you know, you're in meetings. I can't tell you how oftentimes like I'm in one meeting, I'm like irritated about something. And then I go into another meeting and someone says like, what do you think about this research study? I'm like, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. And it's not because that it stinks. Um, it's because I haven't processed my emotion from my previous meeting. Right. And so what right. happens with emotions is a kind of leak into future scenarios, but there's a trick and it's the mood meter. So if you get in the habit of checking in during these transitions and you say, you know what? I am so annoyed at that person right now. I cannot take it anymore. It no longer kind of leaks into the future. That's pretty cool, though. No? I think so. Yeah. And so what I'm going to do is wrap up this part of the conversation, which I'm a yep. little frustrated about because we <laughs> get to um, so many more topics. And I think that 
you know, in the book, you talk about lots of naysayers and skeptics who were saying, you know, I am not going to spend my life, you know, contemplating my navel and my employees' navels and my kids' navels. And my, you know, I don't have time for that. And what, what I learned in the book and reminded of is, no, actually taking the time to do that is going to give you a lot of other time and good time to be creative, productive, loving, content, you know, all of those things. So, you know, Roxanne, think about it as an owner of a business, which, you know, you are and like how your employees feel drives everything, everything. And if they feel disrespected or they don't feel supported or you, you know, whatever it might be, right? They're spending time not working, but on Facebook, they're gossiping, they're engaging in unethical behavior. I mean, I have this research to show that. Yeah, so, and you know, employers Mark, should care. One of the things, so it was our 30th anniversary, you know, and obviously our party and everything, you know, got pandemic, but one of the things that I appreciated more than anything that could have happened is as we were going through upending our business, everybody worrying about their job, what I learned was our staff felt heard, felt that this was an environment that cared about them. And as a result of this environment at RJ Julia's, our staff was amazing. Um, you would think every one of them owned RJ Julia mm-hmm. and had devotion to our customers. They, they were inspiring to watch. And that, you know, that doesn't happen by accident. That's the culture of what well, the that makes is. Think about that. It's, it's reciprocal. So, right, how your employers make you feel, right, makes you feel more motivated to support them during a crisis, right? Yeah. It's all reciprocal. I mean, we, we, it was very exciting. And so I, wanna, I want to close the formal part of this before we get to a bunch of questions with, with what I said in the beginning, that what you learn in reading Permission to Feel is that by using the power of emotions, we can create a healthier and more equitable, innovative and compassionate society. And Mark, that's, that's a huge gift. And I know the work that you're doing to get this in schools and get all of us to do it will, you know, bit by bit, it will make a difference. So I, yeah. I want to thank, thank you. you for the work that you do and thank you for the book. Thank you for hosting me tonight. And um, my first picture, actually, of me and my book is in your store. So you may not know that, but it's... it's I love that. (laughs) I love that. All right. So now we have a couple of questions. Okay. Um, We actually have more than a couple of questions. So let me... But here's what I can see. Um, Okay. As leaders in the workplace, how do we create places of safety? Okay, so what they're, what this person is asking is, because there's such a lack of social and emotional development with so many people, 
And therefore, there isn't a real understanding of other people's emotions, which means there's not compassion. How can we expect for someone to be an Uncle Marvin? If all of that is going on for most people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a process. And it starts by, you know... (laughs) reading a book, it starts by trying to practice what's in, you know, the pages. And I think very importantly, people have to understand that this aspect of who we are is different than other aspects of who we are. Oops. Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, Meaning that, like, I learned all the math I need to learn in my life. I'm not, I have no need to learn more math. Mm-hmm. I can count my change in the store. I can, you know, do basic, you know, arithmetic. But right now, um, this pandemic, uh, being at home, I've never worked from home in my life. I'm always either in my office, on the road, on a plane, or in a coffee shop. I always hated working from home. <laughs> and now I have six months of like in this house, you know, with my family. And don't get me wrong, I love my family, but like enough is enough. <laughs> and so like, it's like in the hallways, I'm like, did we say hello today? Or we not say hello? Do we greet each other? Do we look at do we eye contact or no eye contact? Do we have meals together? Or can we just like, can I have a meal by myself? Um, and like the uncertainty about whether well, my office is going to open, what's going to happen in schools. I mean, it's, a, I've been doing a lot of work with reopening schools and it's like crazy. So I'm just like living in this, like, and I'm like, there are days I'm just like not able to regulate. And I tell people that and they're like, but you're the director of the Center for Emotional Intelligence. I'm like, yes. But you're a human being. I'm a human being who is a work in progress. And I never would have predicted this pandemic. And therefore, I don't know how I'm going to respond to it. I'm lucky that I have strategies and they're mostly helpful, but I failed horrifically. And so I think just give yourself not only the permission to feel, but the permission to fail and the permission to apologize. That's hard for people to say, I'm sorry. Also, you have to be able to forgive because we all mess up. And if we can't forgive each other um, and learn from our mistakes, then how do we ever have a society that thrives? So yeah. I just think, it's a, just think of it as like, I don't need to learn everything right now. Just think of it as I'm on this journey to become an emotion scientist and it's my life's work. So the other um, questions are revolving around education, which you certainly know a lot about. So the questions coalesce around um, how can educators use the ruler chart in online education and can students make up additional charts based on the hundred words in the four quadrants and couple that mark with how do you teach children what the different feelings are so that they have a, and you talk about this in the book, a vocabulary mm-hmm. to respond to how are you feeling? So importantly, uh, you can teach the mood meter to children as young as three and four year old. So it's amazing. They get the colors, they get the meaning that yellow is happy and green is calm, etc. Where When it comes to teaching the nuances, of emotion language. This is why we, the adults, have to build our vocabulary first. Mm. Because if you as the adult, like I, if I asked everyone on this call right now, what's the difference between anxiety 
and stress? Or what's the difference between disappointment and anger? I never get, you know, one out of a thousand people gets it right, which is yeah. mind-blowing because we use these terms all the time, right? Like you have jealousy and envy. You have a yeah. bunch of pairings. Yeah. So anger is about injustice. Disappointment is about unmet expectations. So as an adult who understands that nuance, what's happening is that when you're asking your child questions, you're listening. Is this an injustice theme or is this an unmet expectations theme? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're guiding and you're saying, honey, it sounds like, you know, I know you were mad at me that we didn't get to go to your friend's house, but honestly, I wanted us to go. Like it wasn't my fault. We just got a flat tire. And so I understand that you're probably disappointed mm. because the expectation was that we would get there, but we couldn't get there. If it were like my family where my parents made all these promises and never follow through with it, <laughs> then you're pissed. <laughs> right. But, you know, that wasn't the, you know, like it's so it's about, the, you know, that's the adult has to understand these principles and then the magic can happen. Yeah. And so Mark, one, one, um, another uh, person asked, oh, it's a woman because she's a, a mom. Wow, I'm geeking out right now. I'm a mom of a almost three-year-old and six-month-old, both boys. What would your advice be on getting your curriculum implemented into our public school system? Well, I have to, if I know what district, I can really help. Um, so tell us what district you're in. Yeah, write to me. Uh, whoever asked that question, why don't you type out what district uh, you're in? And then let's talk about... Um, so. Let's talk about what to do with online Zoom education. Because there's a number of questions about, we can't really see facial expressions or observe body language in our Zoom lives. What are the other ways that we can recognize each other's emotions in the virtual world? So remember, as I always tell people, and I'm stealing this from a friend of mine who's a principal of a school in New York, the people make the school, not the building. So it's always about relationships. And, you know, I'm looking at people on this screen here. I may, it may be fuzzy, it may be dark, it may be whatever, but that doesn't preclude me from asking you how you're feeling. Right. And so we have in that schools that adopt ruler, there's virtual mood meter apps. So they can, every school gets the app. They can have kids plot themselves. Kids can chat and talk about why they're feeling the way they're feeling. Teachers can, you know, do the same. So honestly, it's okay to do this, you know, face-to-face and it's also okay to do it virtually. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, as long as you have built connections with your students, you can do this work. And, and Mark, is part of the element of recognition, like I think about sometimes asking people how they're feeling and, and asking it with compassion, they don't want to talk about how they're feeling. And they consider the question intrusive. Mm-hmm. Do you see that a lot? Or do you think that too is its own defense mechanism? Again, there's readiness for this work. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm going to disclose something that I'm going to get in trouble for. But um, my, I hired and have a colleague now who is the executive director of our center, and he comes from Wall Street. 
And he's like, you know, this is really different here. (laughs) (laughs) And he says to me things like, you know, like, all right, Mark, like what I need to know exactly how much time I have to spend in my job listening to how people feel. You know, and I'm like a lot more than you. I could have a little timer. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, I love love this. You have in the book in the section on work is uh, there have been times when I was hired to run seminars at workplaces and heard comments like, oh, no, I am not going through this training. I want you to teach the people who report to me how to deal with their emotions to become better workers. I don't think I need to change anything. I've already proven I'm successful. Yeah. Oh, that's like a recipe for, you know, disaster. But your new executive director is not quite like that. No, he's really into the work. Okay. But he's not used to, like in Wall Street, right? You don't walk around doing this so much. Yeah. Like I started example. on Wall Street. Yeah. However, the, when I tell these executives is that, you know, you may not be you know, you may be successful, but how much more successful might your company be if you knew how people felt? And no matter what people think in a boardroom, in any meeting, everyone's there with feelings. Yeah. You just got to know that. And those feelings are driving their creativity, their performance, their decision-making. So just why not just acknowledge, you know, how we all operate and get along better and perform better. Yeah. So two, two things to close. One is uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Forest Hills Public Schools. All right. Well, we'll look it up. Make a note. Thank you for writing back. Um, and I think I'll close with um, a, a listener's comment, uh, which is, Mark, your work is so powerful, research-driven, and valuable I am a teacher in a district who uses the ruler in our middle school. Thank you, all caps, for exclamations. That's very sweet. Thank you to whoever you are for doing the work. Mark, how many schools is ruler in now? uh, 2,500. Holy cow. But it's not enough. I want, you know, there's 55 or 60,000. So uh, we have- You're on a march. We just started, but- um, Well, Mark, you're young. I have a a filter on my Zoom uh, right now. (laughs) (laughs) Not as thick as my filter. (laughs) Anyway, this is really wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. I totally just feel honored and so excited to do it. No, it's a pleasure. And uh, thanks to all of you who joined us. I want to remind you that you must buy Permission to Feel. It will be the book that I promise will give you the most potential for change for a happy life that you could probably pick up. So, uh, Mark, thank you for uh, taking the time uh, to talk with us. We'll have you back. I know I'll be getting lots of uh, requests for that to happen. Thanks to everybody. You've been listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. Produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, Johnny Diamond, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Justin Alvarez. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Roxanne Cody, and thank you so much for listening.